Hello, welcome to Season 3, Episode 6 of Art Lives. My name is Elizabeth de la Mater. On this podcast, I talk with artists one-on-one about their art, their lives, and how they navigate the world. This episode features Josanne Francis, an internationally known steel pan performer and music educator. In this episode, Josanne talks about Café and Steel on Wheels, the two arts organizations that she directs. We also discuss strategies for keeping your artistic brand relevant and why and how she performed at the Haiti International Jazz Festival in January during the pandemic. Here is Josanne Francis. Congratulations. Congratulations on your video this week on Colbert. That's super cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that is, um, how, how, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to ask. You've probably been asked already. Well, how does it feel? It feels good. It yeah. feels good. Um, I just wish the, sh- the show was like on air this week. Right. Um, but that's okay. Um, last Thursday, um, Steve announced it. Yeah. So, because, which was really nice of him to do because he knew that this week it was not like the show would be on a break this week. So it was nice for him to, you know, give recognition of the the collaboration last week. So I was like, okay, I don't have to keep it secret anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. When you do something like that, you do it in advance. So when did you film that? Um, it was not last, was it last? No, it was the week before last week. Okay. And it was like a really, really quick turnaround. Um, because, you know, people are all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we got to record one thing, mix it in, layer it, and then send it to the next person, mix it in, layer it. And then, so it was like, bam, 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 <laughs> like really, really, really quick turnaround. Right. Um, and of course, then it's like, okay, you got to keep this on the DL. You can't tell anybody. I'm like, okay. So it's like, what did you do yesterday? Oh, I recorded for a project. Um, oh, what is it about? Well, I can't tell you, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So when you, uh, when you recorded that, who, um, who did you hear when in your headphones? So I had um, Etienne in my headphones and um, what did I have? I, I don't know if it was the final bass and drums track, um, but I did have like a rhythm section in my ear. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it was fun. And, and when I recorded, I actually had um, one of my cafe students who gradu who graduated he's not like a student anymore um he graduated but he is very much into sound engineering so you know he helped with the setup and the recording piece of it so i'm like okay you got to put that in your resume exactly oh my gosh yes so he was excited about that too that is so smart and so resourceful you're giving opportunities to these young folks huge opportunity yes <laughs> yep 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 yeah that's right and i i shouldn't i sh- i should 
also add that, of course, you would have been fine creating the groove all by yourself. Um, oh, you know. <laughs> no, you look good. I was glad that that the, at the end you got to play the melody too. I maybe yes. it's a drummer thing, but I was like, you know, there should be more pan in this. What? That's all. And so, <laughs> yes. I mean, I wish I, everyone is saying saying it. I wish it was longer. I wish it was longer, but. There's a collaboration, you know, you gotta kind of share it a little bit. Um, but yes, I'm glad that they they used um, the melody when I played in the end, because I sent a, a few different takes of okay. that one. Sure. Um, so they had, I mean, they chose which right. they were actually gonna use and mix in, so. Nice. So you heard it, which was good, it's good. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Even through the tiny computer speakers, it was good. Um, so how do you, um, you're now like the go-to person. You've worked really hard at becoming a go-to person. And I heard you give a really great talk in Trinidad a year and a half ago about building your brand. And yes, this is, this is where it has led. Yes. And that talk was also pre-COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yes i mean a lot of um I mean, there's a lot of things that i would have liked to to have done in 2020 that i had like on my schedule to do um but of course you know with the pandemic i couldn't yeah uh, so i feel i mean i feel really really good that i could still i'm still like a person that people think about sure. to reach out to to do these projects and especially thinking that, you know, the, that whole Trinidad contingent in that video, um, everyone else is in Trinidad. I'm the only one out here. So that, that you know, that I was still considered, um, I feel, I feel really good. Feel really good. That's wonderful. That's really awesome. Um, I wish I was still in Trinidad so I could oh say to all the students who were there, see, do you see? But I think <laughs> they're all smart enough to be able to, see it for themselves and um i don't need to be there pointing it out but uh, yeah i mean you mentioned covid i mean when this started i imagine that if i had to cancel some gigs you you probably had to cancel a lot of stuff right yeah and actually my first canceled gig due to the pan due to covid was before it was declared as a pandemic um <laughs> And this was in, it was in February. So it was um, like, probably like this same week last year. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to play with uh, my colleague, Chow Tian, who plays a Chinese dulcimer. We yeah. were supposed to perform at the, the Embassy of China in DC for the Chinese New Year. And, you know, by then they knew what the situation was like yep. in China. So, you know, they made a decision that the event would be postponed, postponed, but of course canceled because we're still here. <laughs> uh, but that was, that was the first one that got canceled. And then, I mean, everything after that, but the most, the one that I was most disappointed about was a big one for Steel on Wheels. We had just started our biggest residency at um, the Boys and Girls High School in Brooklyn, New York. And 
we started it on Monday the Monday the ninth of March. Um, Monday the ninth of March, mm-hmm. and then the second session happened. Earl Brooks Jr. was a teaching artist, and then pandemic. So, so I was. Really- <laughs> did you have to clean the uh, clear all the pans out? Well, here's here's the thing. So when that happened, of course, the school was like shut. I couldn't even get I couldn't even get into the school to get the instruments back out. The the teacher of the class that we were working with, she couldn't even get into the school to get things. So (laughs) so I think maybe at least a month and a half or two months later um, was when we could have accessed the instruments. And even then it wasn't all the instruments because some of the instruments were, when, <laughs> it, was, it was just crazy. Some of the instruments were moved to another room that was locked and it was, it was a whole, it was a whole ordeal, but we got the instruments out <laughs> eventually. Wow. It was oh my gosh! Fast. It was so fast. I mean, it, I guess it, no, it had to be. But that's the thing. Um, so many things just got left and stuck. Yeah. Um, so you, yeah, had, you had instruments in a place. Uh, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I I'm trying to figure out uh, what to ask because I'm stunned. It's probably how you felt. Yeah, I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) But you know, sometimes it's like I felt like just bawling and crying, and then other days it's like I can't. I mean, it's not just me, right? You know, everybody else is dealing with this, so right. That's just how it is. (laughs) Can't do anything. Wow. Um, this steel on wheels thing is so awesome. And I would like you to tell me about it as if I don't know anything about it, but I, it's so awesome. (laughs) Okay. So I'll tell the story of Steel and Wheels. So after I graduated from NIU in 2014, oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. 2014, um, I moved to, to Maryland to work with the Cultural Academy for Excellence, that's CAFE. And um, at CAFE, we have several student steel bands. And I would take them to different schools and different events, you know, within the school district to perform and just do like a workshop on the history and development of the instrument, Trinidad, and do like some hands-on interactive playing too. And every single time at the end, I would be approached by a music teacher or an administrator or the principal. And they're like, oh my gosh, we want this. How can we get this here? How can we get this here? Oh, the the excitement they wanted. I'm like, oh yes, we can make this happen. And <laughs> and then, you know, when I send the budget for the instruments, you know, this is what the instruments would cost. You know, we could start off small with like a like a 10-piece band. This is what it is. And, you know, of course, that'll be the end of that because. It's hard for for them to, a lot of schools, most of the schools, uh, it's hard to make that initial investment yes. without actually 
seeing the kids engaged and doing it and benefiting from it on a daily basis. Exactly. So, and that happened year after year after year. And this is elementary schools, middle school, high school, college. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. The the money is the problem. And then a few years ago, I started doing um like a eight week, six or eight week course at cafe for beginners or i went into and i also went into um a rec a community recreation center and this was through strathmore um where i would teach an eight, a six-week course once a week and people would come and i brought the instruments there and then i was like huh it worked so it could keep working right so why not um present it to schools in a way that they know they don't have to buy all these instruments and for the amount of money it would cost them to get one instrument they can get like a week-long residency awesome and they don't have to buy instruments so all they have to do is make sure that there's a space for the instruments to live for one week or two weeks however long we decide and um <clears throat> i'll bring the instruments I'll bring the teaching artist, whether it's myself or somebody else. I bring the lesson plans, everything. All they have to do is give me students, give me some space to work with, and um, of course, give me some money. <laughs> but not as much money as it would cost to to purchase an orchestra of instruments or even like one or two instruments. Yeah. And and this wasn't to to stare them is this not to stare them away from buying instruments but to dip their foot in so that they get the steel band experience they see the benefits of it firsthand living in their school and then at the end i can sit and have a conversation with the school about how they can move forward with purchasing their own instruments to develop their program so that's how steel and wheels was born and um then I, I did quite a few residencies in, well, a lot of residencies in 2018 over the summer mm -hmm. and um, in the spring and fall. And then I was supposed to do a lot last year, but COVID. Um, but 2018, well, 2019 was a really, really, really good year for Steel and Wheels. Um, so I'm really looking forward to when things kind of normalize whatever normalizes now um so we can get back into schools and i think that um the steel pan has an edge yeah because it's a non-aerosol generating ensemble right. so we don't have to worry about that everyone can remain masked up just still keep the distance yeah um so yeah i'm just looking i'm looking forward to when you know, we can get back into school. Yes. Now, the the thing is, I think that I, there are some people who have, well, I personally figured out part part of your idea. I learned that a long time ago. And, and to start a couple of the bands I started, I would borrow instruments or did the introductory um uh, you know, a little workshop to get the workshop. like, I figured that part out, but I certainly wasn't smart enough to say, oh, this could be a thing and I could keep this going. 
And keep going. I really have enjoyed watching you do it and seeing how you manage it. I do think that um, it must, um, there must be so many parts of the logistics that uh, I can only imagine are difficult. Um, I think that after dealing with, um, with, not dealing with cafe, but having multiple steel bands at cafe and doing performances and festivals, yeah. um, that part is, is, oh, that part is fine. Sure. I, for me, the most difficult part, one of the most difficult um, things is having like a, another teaching artist where, you know, I don't have to do all the teaching. Yep. Um, and I had a couple years ago, Aviel Canterbury. He is um, a Trinidadian. Um, he was studying at George Mason University with Victor Provost. So while he was there, I'm like, hey, come over here. And um, he he worked with Cafe during that time. And then whenever there was steel on wheels and you know residencies, I would have him teach some of it where I don't have to teach all of it. And that is also part of the mission behind Steel on Wheels is to create more opportunities for um, steel pan teaching artists to engage with um, students. Wonderful. Because a lot of times, especially if you, you know you go to college and you study steel pan, yeah. and then and then you know then what, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> And, and I, I hope this is going to be like an ongoing thing too with George Mason University that we could take a borrow <laughs> of whoever they have. Because right now we use Dominic Lewis. He's a student of Victor's. Great. So he is also assisting with the teaching at Cafe. Um, but I, th that was the most difficult thing because Aviel is no longer here. Uh, he's back in Trinidad. So having teaching artists and I think, you know, as time goes and as Steel Amuse continues to grow, um, I think more teaching artists might gravitate towards Steel and Wheels. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then there's Cafe. Then there's Cafe. Um, so, uh, hello, uh, Madam Director. <laughs> um, I wasn't surprised when I saw the announcement that you are the executive director, but I I was surprised. That sounds very rude. Um, I was impressed. That's that's the truth. So now you are the executive director of Cultural Academy for Excellence. Um, uh, how do you have time for anything else in your life? <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know. I I, I ask myself that question too. Um, biggest steel on wheels and cafe work like parallel with each other okay. because uh, the instruments that are used in the steel on wheels residencies come from cafe for the residencies that are in this area. Right. So, so that that's a partnership. Um, so a lot of the work kind of overlaps with steel on wheels and cafe. Uh, I don't see it as a lot of extra work and um, I, you know, steel on wheels, that business plan is, is there. It's that set. Um, I don't know if I, I told you, but I am like also back in school. So <laughs> yes, I'm back in school too. Yes. 
but with COVID, everything is online. So okay. that's an advantage uh, where I don't have to factor in commuting from place to place. Something I'm going to have to figure out. Um, but it, it's, I think one of, one of the beauties of, of CAFE um, is, and, and my position with CAFE is the amount of flexibility it has. So, and I also have a lot of support from Mr. and Mrs. Green. So Mrs. Green, Lorna Green, the founder of CAFE. Um, I also have, I have a, I have a staff that is very, very supportive. So, I, I mean, when I came into the position, I'm like, who was doing all of this? <laughs> who, who was doing all of this before? Um, there was, there was that moment of shock, but, <laughs> but it, you know, I, I have, I have the support um, where I don't feel overwhelmed and I can still, you know, do all the other things that I'm doing. So, uh, uh, Malika Green was on my podcast before and she talked about the um, very early days of Cafe and watching her mother um, uh, plan and, and talk the program up and, and fundraise for it. And uh, now it's become this, it's after school and Saturday. It's, it's six days a week, right? It's a yep and uh it's all subjects or most subjects um but the it's it's a lot <laughs> um <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to give the short uh, so the the saturday academy that is cafe was always a saturday academy it started as just a saturday academy so how the Saturday Academy works, it's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., depending on what band you play in. Okay. Um, so in the first two hours is more academic enrichment. So we have reading, we have SAT prep and robotics that happen in the morning. Then in the afternoon, that's where we have the like full arts program. So we have dance, visual art, music theory, steel band, um yoga in there too and chess <laughs> and health and wellness so that's only on sat that's saturday <laughs> all those things happen on saturday and then during the week um so the the after school program was established i think in 2013 the year before i came with cafe um and pre-covid <laughs> what that looked like pre-COVID <laughs> is that the kids would come, they would get a snack. Uh, we'll actually pick them up from school, bring them from school, give them a snack. We have tutors to help them through all their homework. Then they get some playtime. They, then they have health and wellness and whatever arts it is for that day. So the arts would alternate between visual art and um, steel band. And then we give them dinner and then their parents pick them up. So when the parents pick them up at seven, they just gotta spend time with them and put them to bed. All the homework is finished, they're fed. Yeah. This but is <laughs> what that looks like these days is totally different. Sure. <laughs> sure. But that is, I mean, I was thinking uh after you know, typical after school program. This is not an after school, this is a um holistic care and yeah 
I'm gonna start using that term, holistic. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, that's that's what a beautiful thing. Um, so you you started in 2014 as a um, artistic director. Artistic. I I started as artistic coordinator. Coordinator. Mm -hmm. And um, then I moved to artistic director. I think the next year, maybe, or the year after that. Um, yeah, and I was in the artistic director role for a while. Did you think that you, uh, ha had you uh, ever thought, or had you hoped that you would end up as the, in such an administrative role in an organization? I think after I had been with the organization, maybe my, <clears throat> Maybe my into the, going into the third year um, because I took more of an interest into arts management um, rather than just you know steel band directing and supervising artistic staff. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I kind of I, I yeah I knew if I I knew it would happen eventually. <laughs> okay. All right. Wow. Wow. What is your what are your degrees specifically in what is your formal training so my undergrad is music education okay my master's is steel pan performance and in progress music education again oh interesting aha so now you're going back for ed and you're going to be doing um all of that complicated um theorizing that all of those Yes, and the research, and the reading, yes. and the yes. writing. <laughs> when I was in school, all of those those graduate educators always intimidated me. And oh, really? <laughs> they would come and say, "You know, that's a that's an outdated model. You should." <laughs> oh my gosh! What a jerk! <laughs> Wow, cool. So, um, so you're, you're doing all those huge jobs and then you're doing things like, um, flying to Haiti in. The oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. <laughs> you know, some, some days I sit and I'm like, you know, like one day would pass and I might be like, oh, last week I did this. And then someone would be like, uh, that was yesterday or two days ago. <laughs> sure. So you, I mean, you, it seems like more better, more successfully than others, you have maintained a performance career during the pandemic. Um, how on earth have you done that? <laughs> Um, I know a lot of it has to do with uh, the relationships that I have built up over time, over the years, um, because, you know, when the, when the pandemic started and I, you know, gigs were being crossed off of the calendar, uh, Strathmore, that was my first virtual gig. Right. And I had been an artist in residence at Strathmore in the 2018 season. and. Since then, I have been doing like a lot of uh, educational residencies and also performances through Strathmore. So 
be and if I hadn't built up like a great relationship with them for that, I knew like I know that you know once my artist residence my residency was over, that probably would have been it. Oh sure. Um, but like relationship building is a huge thing, and I definitely credit uh, relationship building for keeping me employed <laughs> during this time um, because you know we do something and then that leads to another, that leads to another, it leads to another. Um, and then, you know, just kind of thinking outside of the box too and collaborating with others. Like if it's one thing this pandemic has brought out is a lot of collaborations between, you know, musicians or artists cross, you know, cross art forms yeah. uh, that would not have happened right. had it not, had we not been forced to be in this, isolated virtual world true yeah i agree i agree um the, so the how long was it a jazz festival that you played in haiti yes so every i wouldn't even know if it was going to happen oh, okay. um <laughs> and uh, so i got the invitation for the festival in 2019 and um then i actually applied to the Mid-Atlantic Art Foundation for a grant. They have a grant that they do, they probably roll it out twice a year or three times a year. It's called the U.S. Artists Abroad Grant. No, U.S. Artists International, U.S. Artists International. And it's to help fund international uh, engagements at festivals, at like renowned festivals. So, I reached, I applied for it and I got it. The, this was the second time I applied for it. The first time I applied, I did not get it, um, but I followed up with the, you know, the folks at the, the foundation um, just to get the feedback from the panelists on, you know, why, what could have made my application better. And, you know, I took notes and I applied the feedback and the second time I applied, I got it. Um, and I would say, the amount I applied for is not what I was granted. I was actually granted less than what I applied for. And um, then COVID. So <laughs> it took me months before I even reached out to any of uh, my band members to see if they would be open to traveling if the festival were to still happen. Right. And like I felt like really uneasy even asking that question <laughs> because yeah. like i know we want to work we want to work um but you know it is a it is a pandemic at the same time um but when i did reach out like they were like oh yeah for sure and then the next thing was okay so now the original budget that i submitted um i didn't get the full amount so i have less money Plus things are more expensive because instead of doubling up two people in one hotel room, I am not doing that. I have to get seven hotel rooms instead of getting four or three. So I reached, actually reached back out to the foundation and said, you know, plane tickets went up and I also have to book twice as many rooms. Is there any way you can give me more money? <laughs> Because I imagine that a lot of the other engagements had been canceled for whoever else that they had awarded. Yeah. And they did give me more money, which I was really happy about. 
Um, so then it was just a matter of planning. I was really, really strict with, you know, rehearsals and mask wearing, yep. sanitizing, like, okay, you walk through the door, you get hand sanitizer, or you want a pencil, hand sanitizer, everything. Hand sanitizer, wash your hands, wear your mask. So yep. the, uh, the week before we left, at the last rehearsal we had, um, I gave everyone a package that had a face shield, Lysol wipes, hand sanitizer, <laughs> mask, everything. And I also um, required them every morning that we were in Haiti, um, before they left the hotel room, they had to do a survey um, and check their temperature and record it. Right. So we could be sure that we are still, <laughs> we're still okay. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it still happened. The festival still happened. Um, it was an incredible experience. Uh, mask wearing was not very prominent with the, the people of Haiti, but I would say um, at the hotel, which was also a venue for the festival and um, you know, at you know the the various engagements that that were happening throughout the festival, they would take folks' temperature and give them hand sanitizer, Good. and the hotel was extremely strict about mask wearing. Great, yeah, but you know the other outdoor engagements, <laughs> um, like the night I played, yeah, there were probably like six hundred people. This was outdoors. Um, they did set up the chairs with some distance, um, but there were a lot of people standing uh, because there weren't enough chairs. And it, it, but it's, I was thinking about it and, you know, the people that we did encounter, like especially backstage who were wearing masks, um, they did it to make us feel comfortable. So it wasn't something, you know, it wasn't what they would do all day, every day. Uh, it was done to make us feel comfortable. And um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot to do with, with culture, um, the culture there, uh, where they've just felt comfortable to be maskless and probably something to do with access as well. Um, and maybe a little bit to do with, uh, you know, other more deadly disasters that they have dealt with previously. Sure. That's yeah. a really good point compared, yeah. compared to other things. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But the festival happened. It was pumping. <laughs> well, congratulations on, on na navigating all of that um, and obviously doing so well with it. Um, that's uh that's a big responsibility that you took on for all of those musicians. Um, I don't know if I've ever been responsible for other adults' health like that before. <laughs> and you know, in the beginning, um, I, you know, dealing with kids all the time, like I'm always like, do this, do that, you know, making sure. Right. So, so when I was dealing with these adults, I'm like, listen, y'all, this is the first time I'm planning an international trip for adults. So don't mind me if 
I start like talking to you or emailing you frequently, like if you're a child or reminding you to do things. <laughs> but they really, really appreciated that. They they really, really appreciated that. Cool. So I think I, it, it definitely had to do with me having so much experience just managing kids all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't touch that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, that that is going to be an amazing uh, experience for your memoir, at least. Um, yes. Yeah. And everyone returned COVID free. Incredible. It, it was incredible. <laughs> the government should take advice from you. Um, no, it sounds like you, I have to go to the doctor's office every now and then, and it sounds like you're doing everything that they're doing, like with the pens, oh. the pens and yeah, perfect. Wow. <laughs> um, so what it seems like to me is, um, that you, you really are, are so thoughtful and conscientious about, um, your about finding resources and making sure that you follow up on resources and um you are I, I as i mentioned i saw you give a wonderful talk in trinidad um which has now been a minute and was in the fall of 2019 which is now hello years ago i know uh, <laughs> But it wasn't that long ago. And uh, you were talking about all these other things. It's not enough to play anymore. Um, right. But what you, you are so, um, you are so absolutely good at it that I wonder <laughs> if you, uh, if it has come naturally to you or if you have, if you had to learn it, um, if you did ever take any classes in it. Um, um so there was no no formal classes and i actually had a conversation uh with someone this morning about that because we were it's something for, for strathmore and it had to do with a video and editing and i'm like okay i could do this do this do this and they're like well how do you know that did i take a class so and i think i am i'm I wouldn't even call myself proficient in a lot of things, but I can get, I can find my way around and make it work for me because it costs, it would have cost so much to pay someone to do it. And I didn't have the funds available at that time. So I had to learn to do it to myself. And I think, I mean, musicians, like, as you just said, it's not enough to, to just know how to play anymore, unless, unless you're like, Beyonce or something, um, <laughs> but like it, it, I just learned how to do it because I didn't have access to the resources to pay someone to do certain things. And instead of saying, oh, I can't do it, I had to find a way to do it and, you know, do some research and teach myself. And I actually also learned a lot through the artist in residence program at Strathmore. Um, some, cause we would go through this like really rigorous 
professional development seminars oh. um, mm -hmm, that covered some of the things that musicians tend to learn the hard way in the real world. Um, so things about um, even filing taxes. Oh. Um, yeah, it's that type of year again. Um, but I, I did, you know, learn a lot through that. A lot of it I could not have applied at the time because I just wasn't there yet. Okay. Um, but like looking back, there's, there's so many other things that I could have, you know, taken advantage of then, but I still have the, the materials from that. And I still have those contacts that I could reach out to if I do, you know, want to ask a question or if I want to just, you know, keep my name relevant uh, by, you know, because I mean, sometimes I just like, what can I ask to just put my name in this person's inbox <laughs> okay. to keep myself relevant? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's very difficult. I've talked to somebody um, uh, who is my age. I'm I'm just a little older than you, <laughs> and um, there was a time when uh, we were people my age were more precious about uh, this our art and we ha thought we had to have a divide between um, our art and uh, the business and commercialization. And, um, you know, there was this whole idea of selling out and um, it, you, you're a true artist if you didn't spend time on worrying about money. Um, and I literally had roommates fighting about it um, when I was in college. And then I had other people right from the start saying, I, I'm not going to go hungry um, and I'm going to manage to be uh, a creative in the creative arts or I'm going to manage to be in music or in theater. Um, and I'm, I'm going to figure out a way to do this the smart way. Um, but we did not have any kind of professional development training. And now that is more common, but you still seem to be um, so much more capable and ahead of the game that I feel like it's not just that you're resourceful. I feel like there's something extra about, about you that is, uh, it's even more than just practical. I don't know what a, uh, Maybe it's it's uh, your genetics or something. Maybe um, I mean you have to have like an, an an entrepreneurial attitude with it. And both my parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, they worked for themselves. Uh, my dad is a welder. Um, this year he turns. My dad will be seventy seven this year. 76 or 77 he's he he looks a lot younger than he actually is and he actually would flip the two numbers so he would say the lower number <laughs> um but you know my my whole life i have never seen i've never seen my dad like work for someone else like he would have his clients yeah um like who he's you know building things for repairing things for um and then the same with my mom she she was a stay-at-home mom, um, but she also did a lot of catering 
and speaking for people. So I don't know, maybe, maybe some of that. Yeah. In the mix too. Sure. But hmm. I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So what do you, uh, what are your goals for the next five years? You got to get this, you're going to get this degree. Why are you getting another degree? <laughs> Seriously, what, what do you, so, what, what? Um, I wanted, I've, I've always wanted to go on to, to getting a music ed PhD. Okay. Um, cause I'm very much involved in music education right now. And I just feel like I'm, I'm at a point where it's not just me teaching the students. Um, I would like to pass on my teacher knowledge to other educators as well. So there's, there's that in there. And I, I just also felt like now is the right time. Um, well, this was pre COVID. I said, now is the right time <laughs> for me to do it. Uh, right. While I still, you know, before I get older and while I still had a lot of, while I still have a lot of control over my schedule. Yes. So. It, it, yeah. If you think now is the right time, then jump on it. <laughs> right. But yeah, I've, um, I've seen you, you've already have experience leading teacher workshops and things like that. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I know that you can, you've already shared a lot of wonderful ideas and um, we do need um, more people. The field of steel pan, steel pan pedagogy is growing and um, to have more academic writing on it um, would be excellent. And uh, I can't wait to see what you do with that. Um, <laughs> although, I, I will then be even more intimidated by you, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. I'll deal with it. That's fine. <laughs> um, so when you, um, when did you leave Trinidad? How old were you? I was 19. I was 19. Um, yes. And do you have any specific goals about uh, staying in the U.S. or going back there, or do you have any um, specific hopes for that in the future? Yes, um, I would like to return to Trinidad um, when the time is right, uh, from when the time is right and when the opportunity is right, um, because I mean that's home and. While I am here in the U.S., I I want to do as much for the steel pan community, especially in you know when we're talking about music education, as much as I can here, um, just to just just to help with it because we recently did an interview with with Malika and she said it right. A lot of folks still have the mindset that a steel band is like a garage band. You know, some people get together, you don't need a director, you just, you know. So and 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 this this the steel pan instrument like is your perfect tool for teaching music theory. It's the perfect instrument to start on. Like you could play a song in five minutes. You don't have to spend a long time learning fingering or embouchure or breathing mm -hmm. um, 
not to, you know, I'm not trying to downplay those things, but it, it's just more instant. And the things that could do for a student's self-esteem. Yes. Like, I'm just like, why is Steel Pan not in more schools? Um, but but to, to your question, <laughs> I do intend on returning to Trinidad at some point. Yeah. Um, to you know, just continue contributing in that way back to Trinidad. Um, but I mean, here is where I am right now in the US and I am soaking up as much information as I can. I'm trying to make as big of an impact as I can while I'm here. And, um, you know, I don't have any like set in stone plans yeah. for, you know, beyond the next five years or so, but um, I'm, you know, going with the flow. <laughs> going with the flow. Um, well, I am going to think of a gazillion more things later to ask you. Okay, well, I'm here. You know how to reach me. I'm and I am open. It's been great chatting with you. you. Um, I don't really get to have this kind of conversation, these kind of conversations much these days because, you know, we're not like seeing people. Yeah. Um, this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yes. All right. Stay safe. Stay well. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Art Lives podcast. I'm super grateful to Josanne for talking with me. I have posted information about Josanne Francis and links to her website and work on the Art Lives page of my website, elizabethdelamater.com. Please take a minute to rate Art Lives on Apple Podcasts and stitcher.com. More ratings help more listeners find us, and that would really be nice. Special thanks to Bill Salick, artist Eduardo Moreno, and composer Nicholas Myers, and extra special thanks to you for listening to Art Lives.